Welcome to Chit Chat Money. On this show, hosts Ryan Henderson and Brett Schaefer interview industry experts and riff on the world of investing. As a quick reminder, Chit Chat Money is a CCM Media Group podcast. Ryan and Brett are also general partners at Arch Capital, and Arch Capital may have positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Anything discussed on Chit Chat Money by Ryan or Brett or any other podcast guests is not formal advice or recommendation. Now, please enjoy this episode. Welcome into Chit Chat Money. My name is Brett Schaefer, and I am joined by my co-host, Ryan Henderson. Today is our Tuesday Not-So-Deep Dive episode where we analyze one stock by covering its business model, ownership, financials, and future growth opportunities. After listening to this episode, we hope you get a better perspective on the company that we are covering today. And for this week, we are covering Spark Networks. Full disclosure, this is a tiny company that we, I can safely say, will never invest in. But it is going to be a great hey, hey, spoiler. Hey, never Just say never. Spoiler. Just a little spoiler for them, but it is going to be a great case study on identifying red flags, identifying bad businesses, and comparing it to the other companies within the online dating universe, which is very important. You got to know who your competitors are if you're going to invest in one of these other companies. But first, today's episode is presented by Stratosphere, the best web-based research terminal for company-specific metrics like KPIs and segment revenues. Stratosphere has clean data for KPIs, segment data that is triple checked for accuracy, and beautiful data visualizations. Ryan is bringing up the one for Spark Networks right now, which I was actually wondering whether they were going to have this company on there because it's a German micro cap, but Stratosphere spans the globe with all the companies they offer here. And little did we know, they have all this, uh, the Spark Network stuff. Now, for S&P 500 companies, for top companies in Canada, for NASDAQ 100 companies, Stratosphere is going to have specific company KPIs for their paid plans that are extremely useful. For example, for someone like Match Group, which we'll be covering next week, they will have stuff like paying users, ARPU, all lined up for you where you can't find anywhere else. If you want to try Stratosphere, it is well, not all of their products are free, but you can try it for free and get a lot of the features, or you can go to one of their paid plans. They have various different offerings. Sign up using code CCM, get 15% off. We think it is a great place to start, whether you're a small investor, you just want to start out with the free plan or a professional and think like us, you would utilize some of their uh, historical data and KPI offerings. It's great. All right, Ryan. I think that's enough on Stratosphere. We'll be using some charts from them throughout the episode. Why don't you describe what Spark Networks is? Because this is a hodgepodge of small dating app properties. Yeah, and I'm going to go ahead and rebuke. Is rebuke a word? Refute, rebuke. I think you're meaning. Are you trying to ref- you're going to refute me? <laughs> Rebuke is a word, I think. I'll look up the definition right now, but continue. I think I'm I'm using rebuke properly here. I'm going to rebuke what you said. Google Google says express sharp disapproval or criticism. So sharp disapproval? Sharp? Maybe not that sharp, but I will say- Slight rebuke. You said we are never going to invest in this company. I will say that is not necessarily true. 
businesses can change. Fair. There's very, I would say it's like certainly within the realm of possibility that we could be an investor one day. So at maybe at its current state, we're not interested, but we- They're going to fix was, about 12 things first. <laughs> there were, uh, I, I found a lot of value out of studying the business because yep. we yep. own another- online dating company match group, which we'll be talking about next week. And there were a lot of lessons to be taken away and um, maybe, maybe like advantages towards match group that I hadn't previously noticed. So, um, but let's, let's talk about spark networks first. So they own a number of online dating properties. Like you mentioned, they target mostly the 40 plus age demographic. And then they also, um, have certain faith-based uh, dating properties. So um, re- like religious, if religiously affiliated dating apps, um, I think Christian mingle J date, which is for the Jewish community stuff like that. Um, but they are, and I believe I'm still correct in the stat. They're the fourth largest dating company, online dating company by revenue. Um it's they, they've come down slightly as as Bumble and I believe as Grinder have both continued to grow, but um, they are they they are still one of the largest in aggregate. And so let's look at their properties one by one. Their biggest, their premier property is Zeusk. They acquired this in 2019 for approximately 258 million dollars. Um, Zeusk has a website and an app, and it functions fairly similar to fem, fairly similarly to Hinge in terms of profile creation process, um, the target demographic that they're going after. However, users pay for, I guess, different features with Zeusk. So uh, in Zeusk's case, you have to pay in order to message people, which I find a little interesting. Um, I was looking at basically like, what do you get with the subscription? And you can match with people, but you can't message them unless you pay. Yeah, I made a profile for the anecdotal evidence section. No big deal. And I'll, I'll, I'll give out my anecdotal evidence, positive and negative for Zeusk um, when we get there. Okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, they, they really are going after like serious daters generally. And they, they were at one time a pretty big dating property in terms of like the overall dating market, online dating market. Um, they operate in more than 80 different countries. And my guess based on current numbers and how much they account for Sparks revenue is that they have just under half a million monthly average paying subscribers. Um, they account for 50% of Spark Network's overall revenue. So, and in 2021, Spark Network's, I believe, had around 870,000 average paying subscribers. So I, that uh, I'm just backing into the math there. The second big property that they have is called Elite Singles, and it markets itself as, this is in quotes, the go-to dating site for single, educated, and busy professionals. Um, you have to apply to become a member on Elite Singles, and they have to manually approve you. Bit of an interesting story. The interim CEO of Spark Networks, Chelsea Grayson, um, who stepped in recently and Brett will talk about her in a second, but she was on this interview and said she applied to be on elite singles and her profile was like vetoed initially, or it wasn't approved, um, which maybe is a problem, but uh, it may be, it, it may have been like they thought someone was pretending to be her or something like that, you know? Um, but she had to call 
her, her like CTO and say like, Hey, like, you know, put me through on this, on this app. And so kind of, kind of interesting, but that's, that's the process is, is it's a membership base. Basically you have to be uh, approved and then, uh, it's it's still a freemium model, but the premium accounts are much more costly at around sixty dollars per month. Elite Singles is a decently sized property. They they account for twenty seven percent of Spark's overall revenue, and then the the third largest is Silver Singles. This functions pretty similar to Elite Singles, just in terms of like the app mechanics, but uh, or the user experience. But it's catered to fifty year olds or older. Um, so Match Group recently launched a direct competitor, which is called Our Time. They have the exact same uh, target demographic. They say 50 years old or higher, and they have kind of, I don't want to say displaced, but they're currently beating out silver singles. If you look at the sensor tower data uh, in terms of where the apps are ranking, uh, our time is is outpacing silver singles. But silver singles was launched, I want to say, in like 2018. Um, and there's a chance that I think both those could, they don't explicitly state it, but I imagine both those could be growing just because I think the number of daters that age probably continues to grow, given that mobile adoption is kind of slower for that uh, that segment. Or but, earlier. Yeah. 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 Oh, excuse me, later, not earlier. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the fourth one here, this is a really small percentage of revenue, but basically the three businesses that are somewhat relevant are Zeus, Elite Singles, and Silver Singles. The last one here is Christian Mingle. Um, well, I shouldn't say the last one, but this is exactly what it sounds like. It's a dating site for Christians who really prioritize their faith as, as a part of their dating life. Um, the, the other two that I think are important are JDate and JSwipe. JDate used to be bigger than it is today. It's a leading dating site targeted specifically for Jewish singles. However, it's really web-based and JSwipe is basically the same, except it's a mobile app experience. So it kind of skews a little younger, but really those apps are not only competing against other Jewish dating apps, they're really competing against the big apps, Tinder, Hinge, because you can almost not necessarily like explicitly filter for Jewish people, but they, you can like on hinge, you state your religion, you can state your religion. So if you, if it matters to you, you can kind of filter manually through that. Other ones, um, all these account for less than 1% of revenue combined. So these are really tiny, but eDarling, this is very similar to Zeus, but it's focused solely on the German market. It used to be bigger than it is today. Um, so it's kind of shrunk in relevance. The, another one here, this is kind of unique, albeit, superficial. Um, it's called Attractive World. Here's here's a quote from their description. It's the only leading dating site that lets its members decide who gets in. So if individuals want to join, they first have to impress the Attractive World community. Wow. Sounds like a great way to get your network effect going. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. That's, it's, sarcasm. Uh, that's sarcasm. Anyway, and then there's LDS Singles, which is just the uh, dating service for members of the Church of Latter-day Saints or Mormons. Um, and then Cross Paths, this is basically Christian Mingle just for mobile. Um, so it's a number of different properties. Like I said, though, the big ones are Elite Singles and Zeusk. Um, history, though, Spark Networks was technically formed in 2017 through the merger of two online dating businesses. One was uh, a German-based company called Affinitas. And then Spark Networks. Um, Affinitas was founded around 2008 by an investor consortium, which ended up owning eDarling. Like I said, it was a little bigger at the time. Spark Networks was 
the owner of only religious dating sites. And those had been around for quite a long time. So Christian Mingle was built in 2001. J-Date was built in 1997. J-Date was, uh, yeah, if you're a Value Investors Club reader, go check out some of those old posts. Um, We'll talk about this later. J-Date was a big property for them. And what a lot of investors were talking about is their key golden asset. Now it's only 2% of revenue. Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, last thing here, after the merger, they listed the combined stock on the New York Stock Exchange American, NYC American, shortly after they moved it to the NASDAQ. A year later, so 2019, they acquired Zeusk for $258 million. Potentially, um, they saw this as like, I'm just going to like, why don't we just talk about what maybe they were thinking at the time of the acquisition? Do you think they saw this as like a life vest, something that could like mm-hmm. save, save the otherwise declining businesses? Yeah, it's interesting why they acquired it because during, I remember the the management at the time. I think sent out a shareholder letter, or at least it was right around the time when they acquired Zeus, or I don't know if it was like in between the announcement and the closing date. But it seems like they wanted to enter into the North American market for a general dating app. They also wanted something that was uh, popular in many countries around the globe. I think when I looked up Zeus, it said they were, you know, used in 80 different countries. And I'm in South America right now. When I tested it out, there were people using it. It's not like one of those that we've tested out throughout this show that aren't on here. For example, when we're using Hinge down here, there's no one on there. Well, it's really just people that are foreigners from countries that use it. So maybe that was their thought that they could global, you know, globalize this thing. But as we'll talk about later, it hasn't gone very well. Yeah, I agree. You uh, you want to hit the industry landscape? Yeah, this one will be simple. And I'll give maybe some numbers around, or at least a little more context around the rankings versus the other apps that Match Group is pushing to compete with them. So we'll give the overall numbers again in case someone hasn't listened to our other dating app episodes on Grinder and Bumble, which if you like this episode, definitely go listen to those as well. Really, as we close out with Match Group, we'll give an overall um, just a comprehensive overview of the dating app industry. And then for the newsletter, we'll have some interesting charts on the revenue per share, their net debt, and how that all changed right around the Zeus acquisition. But if we look at global industry spend, we estimate it to be around $5 billion. We're looking at Spark Network's revenue. They make up around 4% of global industry spend. So even though they are, what, what did you say? The fourth biggest dating app pro- group worldwide? Match Group is going to be over 50% of revenue. And then Bumble is growing much quicker and is a large chunk of that as well. So it's dominated by a few key players at the top. If we look at competition, Zeus competes with the mainstream dating applications. If we look in the United States, it is currently ranked 20th in downloads on the Google Play Store versus one through three for the big three generalized dating apps. And that's Tinder, Bubble, and Hinge. And this is within the dating category. I use the Google Play Store because... For some reason, the iOS store does not have a dating category. So they some apps aren't within their lifestyle category. It gets a little bit confusing on there. So I think Google Play is just a bit better. Now, if we look at their older apps, uh, they are losing in downloads to Match, Enster, and what's the old one called? Our Meet, Ryan? Our Time. Our Time. Yeah, that's a good name, I got to say. 
Um, and then Stir is a new one. It's a single parent focused app for Match Group. And that's, you know, there's going to be some younger people on there as well. But generally, that's going to skew a bit older than these generalized dating apps that are targeting kind of people under 30. Uh, then if we look at the religious focused apps, they're losing to their competitive peers as well. I believe Match Group owns Upward, who is outranking, and that's a Christian focused one. That's outranking um, Christian Mingle. And then there's some others as well that I don't need to get into. So we look at those and we look at the KPI charts that I'll provide in the newsletter and that we're going to talk about today, it is really no surprise to see the Spark Network's portfolio losing in almost every download competition right now. Maybe I'll just give a, uh, some numbers here, just one of them. If we look at their platform registrations, which is an interesting metric they give out, that basically is how many people signed up for all of their properties within a given year. In 2017, they had 8.45 million. After acquiring Zeus in 2019, they hit 12.7 million, and then 2020, 14.8 million downloads. But now in 2021, it's only 13 million registrations. So they tried to, I guess, like they brought on something twice as big, which should have propelled them if they were going to be growing up to 20 million probably registrations a year, once you say Ryan, but they're moving all the way in the opposite direction and almost all the, you know, user value, I guess you describe it. From the Zeus ask, ask, excuse me, it's very hard to say. Zeus acquisition has is just going in the complete wrong direction. Does that make sense when I say platform registrations? Yeah, and the you can see that in the goodwill impairments. There's been goodwill impairments right. every single year. Um, that's been them impairing the uh, estimated value, value Zeus, right? of of Zeus. Yeah. Yeah, mainly Zeus. All right, we'll talk about more Zeus and kind of the numbers there and the earnings and stuff like that. But let me hit management and ownership. A bit tricky here because they're basically, I would describe them as in limbo right now. I mean, the stock's below $1 a share. We're at a market cap of, I'll reference later, about $25 million. But they, in January, board member Chelsea Grayson was appointed as CEO. I think it's interim, but basically she's leading the company right now. The previous CEO was Eric Eichmann, who managed the company since 2019. The press release had the typical corporate speak of every executive transition. Oh, Eichmann spending more time with his family and other initiatives. Oh, we really appreciate his time. Grayson says stuff like, I'm really excited to lead this, to lead this growing portfolio or whatever, high quality portfolio of dating at properties. But I think it's pretty clear that Eichmann got fired for performance because of how bad things have been going at Spark Networks. Now, if we look at the 2021 proxy, their 2022 one is not out yet. So we're, we're a bit backdated. We do not know how Grayson will be compensated as an executive. However, if we look at it, their standard stuff, executives get really, or excuse me, their compensation for executives uh, that were there in the past, they get the standard base salary plus variable incentives plus stock options trifecta for almost every executive suite these days, or at least the ones that are using compensation consultants. As you would hope, though, the performance bonuses based on the financial incentives were not earned in 2021 and when we go through the numbers you'll see that you know that's pretty clear however executives like Eichmann earn close to their full bonuses on quote individual performance targets and here's a hey, one of the criteria that i found that was shocking um we'll move on here we don't need to bash them but they got paid a lot so i think they can wipe away their tears with their millions of dollars here's the quote uh, for why Eichmann got one of the reasonings in the proxy statement for why Eichmann got paid out one of his individual performance bonuses. 
quote, launched two new and differentiated social features on Zeusk in 2021. That's just incredible that they, they thought like, well, congratulations, you you launched two features. Whoa. Like, you updated the product. <laughs> yeah, you did your job. Um, we look at base salary. I think got a base salary of $625,000. So fairly high for a company this size, but not crazy given the revenue. Um, yeah, you know, their, how would I describe it? Earnings have been negative for a while, but you know, you, you gotta I'd say that's some. pretty overpaid. Yeah, frankly. it's overpaid. I mean, that's, that's pretty overpaid given the fact that they, you know, sort of break even profitability wise. Like you're just going to give them this money for doing their job. Like it's funny how yeah, we look yeah. at $625,000 for this job. Or Maybe we're, we're, we have our, we've looked at too many that I get paid 10 million for no reason. And this is just a good comparison because it's a micro cap. Yeah. I mean, like, okay. Sind, uh, I was looking at Sundar Pichai's recently. He's been granted probably more than a billion dollars worth of stock in, in Alphabet over the years. I, I think that, I look at that and I don't think he's overpaid. I look at $625,000 for helping launch two new features on Zeusk. And well, I think the that's base salary drastically been, overpaid. Yeah, the base salary would have gotten paid anyways. This is that those performance bonuses got paid on top of the base salary. So it's even more. Yeah, we'll get through further here. The ownership is interesting, um, specifically because of how small the market capitalization is. You can look at the table, but the two important owners right now that I saw in Whale Wisdom and the proxy statement would be Osmium Partners and First Manhattan Company. If I was interested in Spark Networks, I would be researching who both these funds are because they own a huge chunk of the stock. 18.6% is Osmium, 9.7% First Manhattan. And then if we look at combined directors and executive officers, we're at 4.7%. There are, I think, two board members that are big investors that have 2% of the company around there. Excuse me, around there. And yeah, besides that, pretty standard stuff. They're in a bit of limbo. The compensation stuff, I don't think matters because it's all about what Grayson, I guess, is incentivized to do. And I think what was a little bit of a low light is I saw that Grayson, who again is the new CEO, own no shares as of the 2021 proxy filing. So if I was someone that owns Spark Networks and was looking to get acquired, which we'll we'll talk about later, they are looking to get acquired. I would maybe want her to have some skin in the game here to try to get the best out of that stock that she owns. What do you think? Yeah, I agree. Her past, she's been interim CEO or maybe it was real CEO of True Religion and American Apparel. And I think well, both those ended up eventually getting acquired, but I yeah, she's kind of a she's bring been, in to acquire. Yeah. Yeah. Been viewed as like a sell your business specialist. She was on the board though previously. So I don't know. I'm not sure what uh, expertise she brings to the online dating business, but I think it's more for looking at a strategic uh, 100%. sale. 100%. Yeah. The other thing I'd say is Osmium Partners, I believe. They have been selling because they were the owners of Zeusk or big owners. So they've just been like their lockup expired and they've just been constantly selling ever since. Yeah. And that can maybe be what's driving the stock down even further. Um, I saw in the latest 13F that I just picked up on Whale Wisdom that Osmium has been consistently selling. All right. Balance sheet, Ryan. We got an interesting one here. Uh, I also saw, yeah, I'm glad you picked this up. There's some weird things with this debt agreement that are really going to be screwing over shareholders. 
Yeah, hundred percent. Um, so I'm deciding to start with the balance sheet. We usually start with earnings, but I think it's really important to start with the balance sheet here because you look at the market cap of the business and it's something like $25 million and you think, oh, you know, this is pretty cheap. But the uh, the enterprise value is about four or five times that. So it's very important to look at the balance sheet. Let's talk about the assets first. They have $13 million in cash. Over the last 12 months, they've generated about just, just north of $20 million in adjusted EBITDA. Like I've said this before, I typically don't pay attention to adjusted EBITDA for a non-levered company, but because that is, I believe that is largely the money they can pay back uh, lenders with, it's important in this context. Um, However, there was one sort of reconciliation between gap earnings and adjusted EBITDA that I don't think that I think is real. Um, what was the foreign exchange? So my thought here is if they add that in the definition, you, yeah, my thought here is you can't pay back (laughs) the debtor, your (laughs) your lenders with money you've lost in foreign exchange. With the old exchange rate. Yeah. They're not going to just say, Hey, yeah, you can use the one from 2020. Like go right ahead. Right. Because I mean, the cash just isn't there to pay them. So, um, you know, I, I'd maybe back that out. And that was a big hit to them this year. They, they are still a, uh, a fairly international business, even though most of their business is in, or most of their revenue comes from North America. But let's talk about the liabilities. So in order to finance the acquisition of Zeus, Spark took out a $125 million senior credit facility. Brett's showing the the net debt position here it was basically zero until 2019. This was, you know, uh, I mean, we can look back on it now and say it was a bad move, but that's because we know the results of Zeus. However, it's been converted into a term loan, which today has a carrying value of $95 million. So just, you know, comparison purposes, $95 million in debt, uh, $13 million in cash. So a uh, heavily net debt position. Um, However, the debt has been refinanced a number of times. Going into 2022, it was the the rate was basically LIBOR plus eight percent, which is expensive. Um, and there were some covenants that said they couldn't go back, could not go past like a four four point two five times net debt to EBITDA ratio. However, in August of 2022, they refinanced again to A, expand that leverage ratio, but there's also some interesting points in here, which I find just odd. So here's the quote from the recent 10Q. Well, the, cre- the creditors are probably happy, but go ahead with the quote. Yeah, so it says, the amendment revised certain financial covenants associated with the quarterly leverage ratio and requires the company to maintain quarterly leverage ratio no greater than six and a half times, six and a half to one, through December 31st, 2022, and six and a quarter to one for the quarter ending March 31st, 2023. The remaining quarterly leverage ratio did not change. And then it also says, the amendment also requires the company's minimum marketing spend for 12 months, 12 consecutive month period ending at the end of each fiscal quarter, commencing with the fiscal quarter ending December 31st, not to be less than $80 million. There's a required $80 million marketing spend. Within the debt agreement. Yeah. That's ba- yeah. I think this is interesting. Did you also pick up that they're requiring them if they generate excess cash flow to it all go back to paying down the loan? So I think the creditors really have them. Well, I don't want to say the word. 
Um, they have them by the whatever, you know, people can make the analogy. They got a tight grip on this company. Yeah, they're in charge. And they're basically saying, look, you're going to spend the marketing so you can get the so you can keep this thing afloat. And any cash you generate is paid back to us, which as someone who would potentially be owning the common stock, that doesn't sound very great. No. And uh, yeah, and it's an interesting point you bring up. They require them to spend a minimum of $80 million marketing. That goes to show that this business does not, requ- does not advertise because they want to, because they want to grow. They, they advertise because they have to in order to generate any sort of cash. Um, and so, opposite of Grinder, we saw that really Grinder is kind of in a place where they've never spent on marketing and have been able to grow. And it's like when people look, that's not the, 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 the hamster wheel of marketing is not, I think it, there's just a difference. I think between some of these dating apps, I'm, I'm having trouble explaining it. We'll maybe talk about it more in the match group episode. Some of these dating apps get on the hamster wheel of marketing, but some of them escape. There's a few that escape. You know what yeah. I mean? Well, eventually the network effects um, takes over and, and, you grow without needing to spend money yourself. Uh, but that is not the case for Spark Networks. As of the latest update, the effective interest rate on their debt was 12.6%. It is variable. It will likely expand if rates continue to rise. It, they're in a tough situation. Um, no way about it. They are going to pay any cash they generate back to uh, back to their creditors here. But let's, let's talk to the earnings. Um, First of all, I'll say they delayed their 10K posting, red flag. Um, sort, sort of. They're kind of at the end of the line with the auditors. So, you know what I mean? They're last in line when they send their stuff in. They're going to do Apple first. So I wouldn't say it's a terror. Well, it's also maybe because of the, um, the acquisition of the new CEO. So, uh, this is, uh, let me just say it's not my number one red flag here, but it might be hit with a different company. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I suppose. Um, but they haven't released their fourth quarter numbers yet, which is a bummer. Um, but it should come out March 30th. Today is March 24th. You'll be listening to this, I think, on March 28th. So it'll be right after this uh, if you want to take a look at it. But over the last 12 months, they've drawn $200 million in revenue. Um, on that revenue, they've generated about 38% gross margin. I find that here's a, crazy. Go here. Here's Here's why, though. I looked, uh, I was really confused on that. They include marketing spend and cost of revenue. That's why. It's a weird definition, but yeah. I know that's like an accounting, probably an accounting nuance, but for them, that's kind of interesting because maybe it is a cost of revenue. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe it's because of that credit agreement. Who knows? Yeah. But either way, I kind of, it's not a big deal, but that's kind of, it's almost like, okay, if 38% and then we got to spend on product development and um, employees. And you still have app store fees. Right, right. Well, I'm saying after the gross margin. Yeah. All right. Um, $35 million net loss for the year. A lot of that's due to heavy goodwill impairments. Operating cash flow is negative a million dollars. Over the last 12 months, um, adjusted EBITDA, I already mentioned it to $22 million uh, positive, which is good for their uh, lenders. But it's uh, keep in mind, they've still got a lot, like more than half that is 
foreign exchange reconciliation. So uh, yeah, it's not great. I wonder what the debt would be trading at if it was publicly available. Well, well, I wonder if, yeah, I don't know, but I wonder if any of their debt is payable in the currencies in which they earn. Uh, mm, oh, gosh, we'd have to have looked at that. That's too much in the weeds. I don't know. Because that would, have, that would have been included in, I mean, the, the lenders would have included that in their ratio. Like if, if they backed out foreign exchange, they would have been outside their required leverage ratio. Yeah, I'm guessing it's going to be USD, but it also could be Euro just because they have that German presence, but they've been moving everything really to North America. So, Except for their workers. They're all in Berlin. Um, yeah. But uh, as for the most recent quarter, revenue was down 11%. Half that decline was due to foreign exchange. Um, they did have $8.3 million in adjusted EBITDA. I uh, so pretty solid. Hey, a third, of, third, third of the market cap right there. <laughs> That's true. I mean, if you're <laughs> looking at just headline numbers, you know, their price, their market cap to quarterly adjusted EBITDA for the most recent was like three or four times, but uh, there's debt on the business. So I would not look at it like that. Um, the important stat here, Zeus average paying subscribers grew by 3.4% year over year. This was, I mean, this drives the majority of the business. Subscribers have been in free fall or slow decline uh, for a while now. So to see this, I think that's a big positive. Um, and in my opinion, it makes the business a little more attractive potentially if they're able to sell this thing. Uh, that was yeah, yeah. That was the biggest highlight I saw when kind of looking at their conference call. Yeah. Uh, the other thing they said across the portfolio that they had eleven percent higher subscription conversion. So number of users that subscribe, but if users are declining, and the same amount of people or the same people are paying, your subscription your subscriber conversion goes up. Yeah. So that that might have led to it as well. <laughs> yeah, they're like, hmm, what number can we make look good? Um, all right, let's move to valuation. Just as for any reference here on those, people are probably wondering about the cash flow numbers and with the goodwill impairment. I because I was confused as well when looking. I was like, why is the cash flow conversion so much better than the net losses? And well, it's the goodwill. So I summed up all the free cash flow, and this is basically just the standard definition you take: operating cash flow minus capex. We're not including acquisitions here. So this is basically all the excess cash that they generated, but. Besides that, they took outside capital and shares to buy Zeusk for $258 million. And since 2017 through 20, uh, the first three months of 2022, they've generated $26 million in free cash flow. So hasn't really moved in the right direction, but I guess they're around break even uh, somewhat. But once you include the Zeusk acquisition, it's been very capital destructive or excuse me, intrinsic value per share has been uh, quite destroyed. All right, quick evaluation multiples. Market cap uh, today is $24 million. Add on that 80. What'd you have, Ryan? 82 million? I had 82 million from Stratosphere. Let's say 82 million. Doesn't really matter. Enterprise value is $106 million. EV to sales is 0.49. So say 0.5. And then I went with EV to operating income. I wanted to just do some estimates. Basically, if you think this company can recover, it's pretty clear they could hit 10% profit margins and probably 20% if they were well run and kind of things were humming along, which is basically a complete 180 from where we are today. 
if they had an EV to operating income at a 10% operating margin, it would be 4.9. And then if it was a 20% margin, it'd be 2.4. So if they can get any sort of sustainable margin, things are looking okay. But remember that they still have to pay that heavy interest payment. So when we look at that general PE, they'd probably still be trading like 20 times. All right. Anecdotal evidence. Ryan, any thoughts? I know you are a... Uh, in a relationship. So maybe we don't need to say any anecdotal evidence here, but yeah, I don't know if you downloaded the apps and, and got permission or something like that. Uh, decided not to ask permission. Then I don't have to go through that dispute. So um, <laughs> I just Googled or I just YouTubed um, like Zeus tutorials, like demonstrations of the app. And there's a couple of them. Um, so I got a decent lay of the land as far as how the app goes it feels to me like zeusk and really all the religious dating apps that they have over the last five years three to five years hinge has been uh probably the fastest growing dating app at least in the us um, where spark networks earns the majority of their revenue and they've just for one they've gone after the same demographic as zeusk but the religious part that you can put in there um, on your hinge profile, right? I think like it's so much. Uh, there's so much more incentive if you're a user or a data that's ba- that that cares a lot about your faith or your religion to use Hinge because you can manually filter through the people because you can easily see their religion and and I believe premium. There's more supply. Maybe- Maybe it's premium only where you can switch through. I'm not exactly sure because I always have that locked button on there. Uh, where you can actually really. filter specifically. I think it's I think it's for paid only, but I can't remember exactly. Um, but yeah, that's a great point. I think I agree with you that the growth of Hinge has disrupted a lot of these legacy models that were kind of hanging by a thread. And now maybe the network effect on some of these other businesses are totally unraveling. I downloaded Zeus. Like I said, I'm in Latin America. And I guess it's one of the countries where it operates in. And the app, I won't mince words, is a complete shit show. Not because there wasn't any people on there. There seem to be people on there. Maybe they're fake accounts. I don't know. But the, it's clearly an inferior product. I had no idea how to... They didn't, first, they didn't have a tutorial. Second, I didn't know how to like what, what to even do. I'm maybe said, not a You said you got or... matches and you couldn't find them, right? No, no. They said I had matches. I don't think I actually had any because I only clicked a few people. And then I couldn't find them. Yes. Because they gave me that notification. They said, you have matches. Come get your matches or waiting. Come get them. And I had no idea where they were. It kind of just disappeared on the app. And then there's like one button that says click to pay for be a subscriber. And you have no idea what you're getting. So it's just, it's, it's terrible. I mean, it's terrible. It's, I couldn't have had a worst experience where, and here's the thing with these apps is you can get a lot of registrations. I mean, they get millions of registrations a year. You kind of get, if you're on top of the app store, that's kind of where people go for finding new ones. You just, or search on Google and you can pay for SEO. People are going to download it, but you have to keep them around and you have to make it as easy as possible to understand because you want even the, I'm going to try to, this is not, you want the dumbest person out there and the smartest person of all types, whoever speaks any language to understand how it works. And it, if no one understands how Zeus works, they're just going to quit. 
and then your network effect breaks. What do you think about that as just being a, a giant low light for me? Yeah, I mean, like user interface and user experiences, it's something we don't talk about that much, but it's a huge part of success in an online dating space. Um, we'll talk about it being a low light for Tinder. Really? Yeah, and especially in mobile you see it with even even their own brands like they've instead of like converting christian mingle and maybe there's a christian mingle app but instead of like converting some of these like web-based dating properties to apps they're like going after it just via a totally different brand like you kind of have to be mobile native and have a really good understanding of how people like uh interface or, or how users act on a mobile app and uh, yeah, if you just don't have a grasp on that, you're, you're going to constantly get the ridiculously high churn. Yeah. Yep. I agree. All right. Future growth opportunities. Again, for a company that, as we'll talk about in the highlights and lowlights sections, or maybe some of the other sections, maybe let's just address it now. They, for more context, they have said they're explicitly looking for a buyer. They've said that since last summer. They bought in Chelsea Grayson, or excuse me, brought in Chelsea Grayson as someone to get them acquired. The stock is down about, I think, 75% uh, since then. So that's what we're referencing when we talk about that. And that's kind of the context we have for the future growth opportunities because they're in a bit of a limbo period right now. Uh, but Ryan, yeah, why don't you go and let me bring up the stock chart just for any viewers. Talk about what, the future growth opportunities? Yeah, go through your future growth opportunity. Yeah, I mean, if, if I'm trying to put myself in like the CEO chair here. I would not know what to do. Um, obviously what they're trying to do is, uh, sell the business. I don't know if they want to auction off their properties one by one for how much they can, however much they can. Maybe you try to run the business entirely for cash and pay off your lenders, which is what the lenders have basically contracted you to do. Um, so I don't really know I will say if Zeus turns around somehow, if they begin growing subscribers <laughs> yeah. on a regular basis, and maybe it's just the overall tailwind just propels them, this could be, this could have some of the best returns of of all dating apps over the next three years. Oh, I mean, the equity could, could. Yeah, the equity could be a ten bagger for sure. Now, the likelihood of that, I will say, is quite low in my opinion, but the upside is there. And when we look at those subscriber numbers, I think the big concern I have is just how much are they pouring into marketing for Zeus right now? And is that kind of an artificial you know, house of cards that they're propping this thing up with? Um, but yeah, uh, my future growth opportunity, let me just go through it. I think really the only way out of this death spiral besides an acquisition is you have to bite the bullet and modernize the UIs, the user interfaces, the user experience. And you have to differentiate your assets from the services with a clear lead on smartphones, which again, smartphones, mobile apps, among people under 35, which we would refer to as the big three. Plus grinder, I guess, big four, potentially, sort of. Uh, this will require pain, right? You got to hire software engineers. You're going to have to pay them a lot of money to get good ones. You got to fix all this technical debt. You got to get rid of all the, you got to get better anti-fraud and scam tools, which when I looked at reviews on a, uh, the app stores, their apps had terrible reviews for fraud. And that is a big problem among dating apps in general. But most of the companies can get it, you know, um, they're not going to be 100%, but they're a lot better than what it seems like some of these apps are doing, especially like Zeus. 
I mean, earnings are going to take a big hit in the short run. I don't know how they would get the liquidity to do this. And maybe they don't. Maybe they're in a tight spot because they don't have the cash. But eventually, they could get to the other side and build up a portfolio of niche dating apps that can work well for these target markets. And I think there would be a business model there. But I don't know if it's possible to be have this be done as a public company. I think they might need to be acquired by a private equity firm and then enabled to have this happen. What are your thoughts? I mean, yeah, but like if you're a private equity firm, would you take this risk? These things are so hard to turn around. I, I, at the right, I don't know if, I don't know if this is at the right price. Would you? I don't know. Basically zero out. At the right price on the, you'd zero out the equity. Yeah, that's, yeah. (laughs) Which like, uh, that's probably not very, uh, optimistic for shareholders. The, I mean, you have to swallow a hundred million dollars in debt. Yeah, that's the big thing. I think they would be able to make this pivot potentially if they got a good management team in there, if they didn't have this debt, but they do. It's it's the reality. Okay, highlights and lowlights, Ryan. What did you like, dislike about this one? I know our lowlight section here might could be 10 <laughs> things long, but I, I think I limited mine to three as well. Yeah, I'll maybe actually like try to make my lowlights more succinct. But my highlights is they are improving the subscriber number at Zeus. Now, I don't know if they're massaging this number in any way, But if that is genuinely turning around, first of all, maybe, maybe someone buys out the overall stock at a premium if if they think that Zeusk is growing once again. The other thing, if they choose not to to, to go with a buyout offer and they just, and Zeusk actually still grows, and maybe they generate more than enough cash to pay off the lenders, I've said it before. This will be a multi-bagger, like, yeah, for sure. But that requires like a significant improvement in the business. Low lights for me, though. Uh, I'm going to steal a quote from a comment I saw on a. There was a values. There was. A, there's been a couple of value investors club write-ups well, on been, Smart there, Networks. Uh, there's been like ten over the last ten years. Yeah, and a lot of them, uh, I think, missed the ball. Um, but one of the comments basically. It was someone who had been a shareholder before. He says, Spark is a roll-up of inferior brands. And with each acquisition, we're told, now we are at scale. Yet it's never at scale. This has happened every time. He adds, they need huge advertising spend to keep the new users. The marketing spend is bearish, not bullish. They need it to survive. I think it's totally right. This is what a subscale online dating business looks like. And it's not pretty. Nothing okay, there's nothing about scale about owning two separate ones that gets you to scale. It's all about right. the individual app getting to scale. It doesn't matter Tinder versus Hinge, they're actually competing with each other. Bumble and Badoo are competing with each other, but the companies can leverage their ownership of them and kind of massage what part of the marketplace they're going after. And once they hit that scale, once they hit that um kind of threshold. Then you can get there, but it doesn't matter if J Date and Christian Mingle have some sort of users. The users don't overlap, especially especially those. By definition, they don't overlap. And there's the, the biggest cost here, aside from performance marketing for for Spark Networks, is the cost to develop the apps. Yeah. So if you spend, if you have, I would so much rather have one successful digital property that costs ten million dollars to build that has 
let's call it 50 million monthly active users, then 10 of those apps that reach the same size and all cost the same to build. Yes. Exactly. Like it's, it's a huge difference in operating leverage. And so, I mean, this is exactly what you get when you are, when you have a bunch of subscale brands is it costs money to grow. The network effect doesn't grow for doesn't grow the platform for you. And because you have to spend money to, to market, you really don't have, I think enough to reinvest into developing a competitive platform. There's yeah. just like, it's the, it's uh, the operating leverage cuts both ways in, in the online here's, business. Here's what's interesting is I'm going to sound like a dating app bull, which I am, but it's amazing that these apps aren't dead yet. It's amazing how Zeus oh, yeah, could man. be dead. It's amazing how if those guys are, even if they, if it, it's well, like they're trying on. to kill it. It's like they're trying to kill it and it's not dead yet. It's amazing how, uh, right? It's all there is not many different steps you would make from your app design to kill an app than what they did at Zeusk. And yeah, it's slowly dying, but it's taken a while. It's weird how these things can kind of linger around for a long time. I mean, even eHarmony has users still. I think that's just an interesting note. It is weird. I mean, you know, half a million people still pay. Yeah. Why? I don't I, like. I, the only theory that I could come up with for why the, these people still pay is that these are like daters that have like twenty different apps and they pay for every one. Oh, they have they have a lot of disposable income. Yeah, it's interesting. Maybe I. I there's I, nothing I, about this. Okay, maybe it's in Latin America. Maybe it's in Europe. But like, there's nothing about this plat any of these platforms that that are better than. Hinge if you're a dater. Yeah, or or any of the big the say the other four ones. Um or Bumble. Have, yeah. Like yeah, Badoo, Bumble, Tinder, Hinge, uh, Grinder if you're LGBTQ. You have those, you download those and you go, Well, these are way better. They have way more people, but I'm gonna pay for Zeus. It doesn't make much sense to me. So I don't really get it, but hey, it's there. But hey, so anything else before we move on to mine? I think you can make any business survive for a while with enough performance marketing dollars. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe that's what's happening. All right. Uh, you have any other low lights you want to hit or do you just, nope, I'll go to mine. No, nah, go for it. Okay. Yeah. My highlights, um, their, their SBC has been free. I think that's actually kind of important where all their potentially delivered securities will not vest, uh, or, or if they do have the potential to vest, you're going to have a five-bagger where the average strike price right now is $4.77. Current stock price is below $1. Uh, B, there is the possibility of a buyout at a huge premium, like Ryan mentioned. If Zeusk even just stabilizes, they'll get acquired for probably $100, $100 million market cap, something like that, which is a four-bagger from here. But to be clear, and I hope we've been negative enough because this is a micro cap and we never want to pump, you know, sound like at all like we're pumping a micro cap because we're not at all. This is only a possibility. It's a small possibility and it's really a lottery ticket. Um, other highlights, they said they were, it's sort of a bittersweet highlight. They said they reduced their fraud on their platforms by as much as 80% of some of their brands. It's definitely not a bad thing, but also you're kind of admitting that there's rampant fraud on your on your stuff. So... There is on all these, but yeah. 
Yeah, but I think looking at the reviews, it is much, much worse at Zeusk than the others. But yes, to be fair, there is stuff at Tinder, Bumble, Hinge, Grinder as well. My lowlights from the words of management here. Here's a quote to kind of show how bad Zeusk has been. Quote, since we acquired Zeusk, subscribers declined every quarter for three years until last quarter. That is not confidence inspiring for an acquisition that valued Zeusk at $258 million. Um, since 2017, like I said, the entire Spark Network has generated cumulative free cash flow of $26 million. The return on Zeusk has been heavily in the red uh, so far. Uh, here's the other low light. Is they're hyping up that they're going to spend more money on marketing in North America, which my first thought, my sarcastic brain just went, yeah, that market is not crowded at all. That that's what my immediate thought was like, you're going to lose. It's not going to work. Well, if you were required to spend marketing, how would you paint it? I guess that's true. Hey, we have to. I mean, that's not very confidence inspiring either. They're, they're trying to put a positive spin on it. Yeah. And then last one I had is I could list a dozen lowlights here, but in reality, almost every important thing we look at business model strategy, user experience, nurturing acquisitions, financials was a big low light. And this is by far the worst business we have ever looked at under our not-so-deep-debt format. On the flip side, though, I think this is an interesting discussion question. How do you think about Spark Network's seeding share to apps like Grindr, Bumble, Tinder, et cetera? And can that be relevant for those companies as maybe these, if this company goes bankrupt and these apps kind of disappear? Is that helpful? Is that nice for these? Uh, I guess it's only 4% of the market, but... Is that good for the competitive landscape for them? Maybe. I mean, it's it's probably small in terms of like users. Like, if all these users converted over, it probably wouldn't make the plat the big platforms that much bigger. But maybe all Zeus's users would make Hinge bigger. But think about this almost like the tobacco space, where anyone could make a cigarette. Uh, maybe the tobacco space isn't a good. Uh, the barriers to entry are low. The barriers to success are insanely high, especially yeah, now that yeah, you have yeah. all these insulated players with tons of scale. Like, it would be really difficult to replicate these platforms. It blows my mind that Hinge was able to climb that wall. Well, they wouldn't have. I mean, well, one, their UI is amazing, but they wouldn't have been able to do that unless they were under Match Group because they wouldn't have had the funding. And Magic Group really got that monetization engine going for them by copying all their products. I think what's interesting, yeah, there is a high barrier to success here. And I think a lot of people talk about the bear case for the dating apps in general, and maybe the ones that are popular today. And we'll talk about this on the Magic Group episode as well, is that there has been historically a lot of disruption within the dating world, uh, within the online dating space. But I think the big reason for that was the smartphone. And when there was a new platform shift, all the old platforms got disrupted and when you look at the popular dating apps that started as mobile apps, first Tinder, then Bumble, then Hinge, Badoo, I guess actually Badoo was first, and Badoo has been mismanaged, Grindr, they, none of those have been disrupted yet. So I think the key is if there's a platform shift that allows the avenue for disruption. But again, we could be totally wrong. We'll talk about this further on the Match Group episode. All right. Yeah. Bold case, Ryan, what do you think? Or any, any fall up there, but maybe save it? I don't know. Yeah, no. Bold case for me is uh, buyout. Um, problem is, 
everyone knows they're looking for one, which I don't know. It just doesn't seem like who buys great them? Yeah, private equity. There's no reason for uh, obviously Match Group has looked at them and said, like, it's just not worth it. Like, we can kill them ourselves. We'll just we'll buy their, we'll buy their users by building our own product, which they've done. Um, so it would have to be private equity. But at the same time, like if you're private equity, and it has to be someone with enough money to pay pay for the debt. Uh, is it, it? It doesn't seem very well, attractive. They're, they're, like they're, they're trying that, to sell yeah. themselves. Right. You know the assets are struggling. They can just do the same due diligence we did. You know, there's uh, these are dwindling businesses. I know. Get insights into all the cockroaches that aren't on the SEC filings. I mean, you have to believe that you can like firmly turn this around. I just don't see how you get a premium when you're begging people to buy you. Yeah, that's a great point. My bear, my bull case though is yeah. The only upside I see as well is a private equity firm buying out some of these assets. What do you see the likelihood of that happening? Is handicap it right now as well? Be totally off, but I'd say my probability on that that it gets bought out with any sort of value for the equity holders. I say 30%. I'd probably go lower. Lower. Yeah, probably. But a number. I mean, it doesn't matter. But a number. Okay, if you just put like, uh, maybe you're right, maybe 30%. Because if you just X'd out the debt, like let's assume whoever bought it just you know pays the pays the lenders in full. And then you pay, let's say, call it $40 million for the equity. So you paid $140, $130 million for the whole property. How much do you think this business could generate cumulatively in cash if they just ran it for profits? How much do you think it could generate cumulatively in cash for the next five years? Conservatively... I'll be optimistic. 50 million. I think a hundred million could be possible if it doesn't just continue to just hemorrhage users. Yeah, it's, it's tough to say. I'd have to know more about their marketing, how it works. Yeah, All right. like I don't know. Like the, the I guess there's the possibility that there's a buyout premium. Yep. All right, bear case for you, Ryan. I think it's obvious, but let's talk about it. Uh, yeah. I mean, they're just unable to pay their lenders over time. That's really the big one. Uh. And this uh, business ends up ends up owned by the lenders, uh, or ends up in bankruptcy. That, I I mean, that's that feels like the most likely outcome right now. And that's what the market's pricing in. Yeah, I mean, my yeah, my bear case is things just keep moving in the same direction, regardless of this one quarter of Zeus growing their subscribers. I mean, things don't still look bad. Um, the downside was zero at. Uh, hundred, uh, excuse me, a thousand percent higher from here, and it's still zero. You know, after the ninety percent plus drawdown, um, I think it's extremely likely shareholders get zeroed out here, and I think it's a great lesson in microcap investing, or not microcap investing, but analyzing a microcap. They're going to be sticky. There are some, you know, we like deep. When we go to microcap, we kind of like deep value, and that's what our hunting ground is. And you could describe this potentially as a deep value, maybe. 
but this is not there, there are certain characteristics we look for with micro cap deep value and this is not this had none of them um so yeah no yeah no it didn't all right more or less the debt was like the kiss of death yeah there could be something here if they didn't have that but either way it's still unownable because it's just clear those these properties are uh irrelevant all right i don't think we have a more or less interested because we're both less interested hold on talk about stock oh closing thoughts ryan i would maybe i would maybe go more interested (laughs) maybe it would it would obviously take some seriously big changes, but let's say, what if you saw big subscription growth at Zeusk over the next couple of quarters? And yeah, cash flow doesn't saying. look good. If cash flow doesn't look good, I don't care about subscriber numbers because I can juice that with the marketing budget. Yeah, honestly, the the whole marketing thing, the the, the debt just throws this whole thing off. But if there wasn't debt, I'd be more interested. If they survive and they can make Zeus a modern dating app, then there's potential, but that's a long road ahead. Okay. Stock for next week as we close out the dating app episode, or excuse me, theme is going to be Match Group. We own it in the Arch Capital Fund. We're going to go through that specialized episode where we kind of go through our analysis, our bull and bear cases, and what we're looking at for reasons to buy, reasons to sell, all that good stuff. Remember to subscribe to the newsletter to get the charts that go along with this episode. Watch us on YouTube or Spotify and give us a review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. We are not financial advisors and anything we say on the show is not formal advice or recommendation. We are general partners at Arch Capital and clients may hold securities discussed in this podcast. Thank you all again. Hopefully, this was a good lesson in studying microcap companies and we'll see you all next time. 